Last night, I met with Alan and a new friend of 1548, and it was a, a wonderful evening experience. And it, it dawned on me that this is a church that doesn't just do time for one hour on Sunday morning, but these are individuals, you are individuals, people who are engaged in a variety of ways because you're people who care, people who find yourselves called to love God and to love others as you love yourselves. I am the interim minister. We are, I am the bridge between the previous uh, lead minister and the next lead minister. And there's been a search team that's been working in a spectacular way. And so as soon as services end today, the very moment somebody will ascend uh, the pulpit and begin a short little review of what we've done, maybe five or ten minutes, maybe no more than that. And then as soon as that enlightening uh, review is finished, then we'll be dismissed downstairs where we will enjoy what is appropriately called an agape meal. And agape is the biblical word for love, so it just doesn't get any better than that. Some people call them potlucks, but we've upped the ante. We call it a love feast. Well, that's what's coming. Our sermon this morning is about to be presented, and then I will have comments afterward. The sermon comes from Acts, the 12th chapter. The title that we're giving this sermon is The God of Second Chances. And what you'll hear now is the last lengthy appearance of the Apostle Peter in the New Testament. About that time, King Herod laid violent hands upon some who belonged to the church. He had James, the brother of John, killed with the sword. After he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. This was during the festival of unleavened bread. When he had seized him, he put him in prison and handed him over to four squads of four soldiers each to guard him intending to bring him out to the people after the Passover. While Peter was kept in prison, the church prayed fervently to God for him. The very night before Herod was to bring him out, Peter, bound with two chains, was sleeping between two soldiers while guards in front of the door were keeping watch over the prison. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared and a light shone in the cell. The angel tapped Peter on the side and woke him, saying, Get up quickly. And the chains fell off his wrists. The angel said to him, Fasten your belt and put on your sandals. He did so. Then he said, Wrap your cloak around you and follow me. Peter went out and followed him. He didn't realize that what was happening with the angel's help was real. He thought he was seeing a vision. After they had passed the first and the second guards, they came before the iron gate leading into the city. It opened for them of its own accord, and they went outside and walked along a lane, when suddenly the angel left him. Then Peter came to himself and said, 
Now I am sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hands of Herod and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. When he recognized this, Peter went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark, where many had gathered and were praying. When he knocked at the outer gate, a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer. On recognizing Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed that instead of opening the gate, she ran back inside and announced that Peter was standing at the gate. They said to her, you are out of your mind. But she insisted it was so. They said, it is his angel. Meanwhile, Peter continued knocking, and when they came and opened the gate, they also saw him and were amazed. Peter motioned for them with his hand to be silent and described for them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. And he added, tell this to James and to the believers. And then he left and went to another place. Wow. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. The oral interpretation, the reading of Scripture as it was done early on for several centuries, not for the eye, but for the ear. You experienced it. And what follows now are just some brief remarks on the sermon that we've just heard. There's a number of ways to that people, preachers, have gone with this text. You and I have both sat through sermons probably where it's a take, almost a comedy routine. It's such a funny little story. Rhoda at the gate, she leaves Peter knocking at the door while the debate rages whether or not it was Peter at the door. It's kind of, a, kind of funny. Some people think it's funny the way the angel treats Peter like a child. Put on your suit, shoes, the angel says. Don't forget your coat. Do you have your lunch money? Like a parent with a kindergartner. Or how about the, the moment that Peter realizes at the end of his escape that he's not dreaming? He's been up now for who knows how long, and suddenly it occurs to him that he's not asleep. It's like at lunch, somebody's saying, I've been awake all day. And then there's different levels of humor, too. The angel gets Peter out of jail against incredible odds, chains and bars and double guards, but Peter can't get through the gate because he's mistaken for an angel. The irony or this chapter that begins with Herod wanting to do harm to the church ends with Herod eaten by worms. Huh. Or the section of Luke's story that begins with one church leader killed and the chief spokesperson jailed, but ends with the chief spokesperson escaping, the tyrant dead, and the church growing. It's just so ironic and funny. But this, is, this material was not written for Jim Gaffigan or Rodney Dangerfield. Where I get stalled is another interpretation that I've heard in sermons before. 
It's the first two verses, the questioning, the questioning about James' death. James dies in the persecution, and Peter's saved. And so the question is, why wasn't James saved? What about James? Why did he have to die? I can imagine myself, James' brother, James' father. Why my son? And I can imagine the big celebration after Peter gets into the house. There's Peter behind the microphone. Peter, I'd like to thank everybody, all you people who answered, who were praying. God answers prayers, doesn't he? Amen, amen. I want to thank everybody who didn't give up, who kept praying, kept the prayer vigil alive. Prayer works. I'm living testimony, living testimony. The prayer works. I want to thank my wife, Martha. She never gave up. She kept praying. Honey, stand up. Sweetheart, stand up. Martha. Everybody give it up for Martha. Clap, 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 clap. And my boy, little Pete. Little Pete was praying. God listens to the prayers of children, doesn't he? Amen. Come up here, little Pete. Daddy's home, little buddy. And then we look over at James' table. And there's little Jimmy. And there's James' wife. And a cluster of James' closest friends. And we say, why wasn't James spared? Why did James have to die? And I think I'm as happy as anybody that Peter escaped but what about James? Why did he have to die? Imagine yourself as I do, James' wife or James' son. I know a man a few years back who thought he was going through a midlife crisis, and he wrote the words to this chart topper, the words, the song's entitled, Why Me? You could hum along with me. Why me is a recurring refrain. Maybe if you don't know it, you can learn it. Why me? Basement leaks and so does the roof. The dryer's out and I feel like a goof. Why me? Why me? Car won't run, house needs painting, I'm out of money and my body's failing. Why me? Why me? Look at that, Peter's driving. He lives in a house twice the size of mine. He drives a BMW. He summers in Alaska. I don't. Why? Why me? Stop. Flair, just stop it. You see what I've done to the text? I've taken a crowbar and I've pried it open and I've taken the text hostage and I've drifted off into the land of narcissism with it. Why me is not Luke's perspective here, at least not in this story. Luke's telling another story and maybe we would be wise to quiet our worries and silence our songs and listen and see the picture that Luke is painting and it's different. In the story that Luke tells, James and Peter are both victims. And the Roman government in the person of Herod Agrippa is the victimizer. And Herod is an evil man. And he's after anybody who threatens his power and his ego. He's after all of us. This is a story that Luke has told that works in our lives, God working against the forces of evil, God working in the life of the church. And so what I intend to do with you now is to go to the text and stay in the text long enough for meaning to surface. A third approach. Peter's escape, by the way, is his last major appearance in Luke's two-volume work, the first volume being the gospel and the second volume being the book of Acts. And you'll remember Peter, Peter the fisherman, who after a mammoth catch of fish left everything to follow Jesus. You remember Peter, who tried to walk on water but seeing the wind he became afraid and he cried out, Jesus save me. 
You remember Peter who was with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration and not knowing what to say. He opened his mouth and started talking. You remember Peter when Jesus says, who do people say that I am? Who do you say that I am? And he said, thou art the Christ. But you probably best remember Peter at his notorious worst, who on the very night that he promised, the very night that he bragged, that even though others will deny you, I never will. And then moments later, he denies Jesus three times. And now the story in Acts 12 is Peter's goodbye appearance. It's his swan song. And what's so interesting about this final appearance are the number of allusions that Luke makes to Peter's early failures to remind us specifically of Peter's lowest moment, his worst defeat, his lowest experience when he denied Jesus three times. Because here in Acts, Peter, just like Jesus in the Gospels, is imprisoned during Passover. They, quote, laid hands on Peter, precisely as Luke describes what happened to Jesus. Third, Peter is arrested, the language delivered over, led forth, the exact terms that Luke uses during Jesus' trial and Peter's denial. And there's more. After Jesus arises from the dead, the event is announced by two figures in Luke who are called angels. And just before Peter is scheduled for execution, an angel tells him to rise. An overabundance of literary connections. I count seven of them. And then this. When the resurrected Jesus appears in the community in Luke's gospel, they quote, disbelieve for joy, which is such an odd phrase. They disbelieve for joy. And when Peter gets to the house and Rhoda doesn't open the gate, Luke says, she doesn't open the gate for joy. Such an odd number of connections, all these illusions. The community of believers initially think that Peter's a ghost. Some think that Rhoda has seen Peter's angel, but all these literary illusions are overwhelming and they connect our story, Peter's swan song in Acts 12, with Luke's story in the first gospel, and that is his worst failure. So, why all the allusions to Peter's earlier denial? I'm glad you asked that question. For one thing, Luke is telling us that the story of Jesus, and he tells us this over and over in the, gospel, in the book of Luke, or book of Acts, that the, that the story of Jesus continues in his followers. In other words, the book of Acts, the story of the church, is the second incarnation of Jesus. But there's more. The arrest, the threat of death, even the servant girl causes us to recall Peter's worst failures when he denied Jesus three times. But now, in Acts, it's a different Peter. He's not without sin, it's not like a, he's a saint, but he's victorious in this situation. A situation that has all the earmarks, all the trigger points of his worst failure. Do you know that phrase, trigger points? Same smells, 
the same sounds, the same feeling. But this is no coincidence. Peter's last story parallels his worst story. And Luke now presents Peter's last appearance in the same context as his worst appearance. So the question then becomes, what allows Peter to conquer his weakest moment? How did the second chance not just become another slot in the downward spiral? And here's a hint. Maybe you remember Jesus' words to Peter on the night that he was denied. Do you remember? Jesus said, Satan demanded permission to sift you like wheat, but I prayed for you that your faith would not fail. Jesus prayed for him. God is a God of second chances, and like Peter, this congregation is filled with people who have failed. And I'm talking about me, and I'm talking about you. Do I need to go into detail? A failed marriage, divorce, separation, failed in finance, bankruptcy, failed at work, passed over for promotion, fired with cause, parenting, the communication breakdowns, the lies, living beyond what we need, the greed. I don't need to go on. We're all implicated. To quote scripture, we, all of us, have sinned and fall short of God's hopes for us. And then into our lives comes the grace of God. Into our lives comes forgiveness. And penitent, like Peter, who wept bitterly after he heard the rooster crow, comes spiritual renewal. And Jesus says, I'm praying for you. I'm praying that your faith won't fail. Jesus prays for us. God is a God of second chances, even for people like me and people like you. Maybe for you will come the opportunity when God wants to grant you a second chance or a third chance. And into your life will appear the same situations as before, the same triggers the triggers that were precursors before to the pit of failure. It'll be the same people, it'll be the same sounds, the same smells, same situation. Only this time, instead of bowing to temptation, you experience victory. I had a friend in Washington, still have a friend in Washington State. I performed his wedding ceremony 35 years ago, but it was alcohol. It was alcohol that ruined the marriage, ended it ruined relationships with family, was the cause for losing his job. Last time we communicated, which wasn't long ago, he had a little uh, ticker, how many days and hours and minutes and seconds he'd been sober. I wrote back, I said, watch the triggers. I'm praying for you. I said, Jesus is praying for you. Because the temptations will be there, the triggers, it'll be the same bar, it'll be the same stresses, it'll be the same hopelessness. But instead of saying deja vu, see it as an opportunity for victory. Listen to Jesus, he says he's praying for you. Call your friend to remind you that this is an opportunity for victory, to remind you of who you are, to experience the God of second chances. I mean, we all of us, some of you have suffered abuse, 
When you were children, it was verbal or emotional or physical or sexual. Now you're a parent or a grandparent. You have the opportunity to break the cycle, to offer good love in replace of the vortex of pain. Jesus is praying for you. Don't say deja vu. Listen to Jesus. He says, I'm praying for you. Call the friend who will say this is an opportunity to live a, a life of integrity, to remind you of who you are and that God is a God of second chances. Rhoda, the servant girl, comes to the gate. The last servant girl to associate with Peter, you remember, the text says, she looked at him intently. And then she says to those gathered around the fire, this man was with Jesus too. And Peter denies her claim. He says to the woman, I don't know him. A lot had happened since then. Repentance had happened. Bitter weeping had happened. Forgiveness had happened. Grace had happened. And Jesus had been praying for him. I recall from a previous ministry, a work the congregation was doing to help those recovering from the emotional ravages of divorce. We identified a real need in our community and we invited a speaker from Colorado who would come out and address the group. And in preparation for that big event, people invited their divorced friends, their divorced neighbors, their divorced banker, their divorced grocery clerks, and they all came. We had the fellowship hall packed with 250 divorced people of every color, of every economic status. And in to the fellowship hall came our speaker. Now the divorce recovery ministry didn't have any funding, so we had to go cheap. We had, the church didn't have budget for this kind of work. So we found a speaker who only charged airfare and lunch. <laughs> and when he got up to talk, I thought, well, we got what we paid for. When I discovered to my horror that he had a stutter a stutter that was discernible and to my ears so distracting. It was painful for me to sit there and listen. But he had been divorced. And he knew the pain. And he spoke with such integrity of having lived through the heartbreak of rejection and failure. And he talked about how God had given him a second chance. And that he felt that Jesus was praying for him. And the divorced truck drivers and the wait staff and the divorced engineers and the divorced school teachers were all sitting there listening and crying as they heard about forgiveness and grace and that Jesus was praying for them and God is a God of second chances. And I look around here. I look at you. You know your Bibles. You know your New Testament probably. Of which of the New Testament characters do you most identify with? And I'll bet you every one of us would probably say one of our top three would be Peter. Why? Because of his sinfulness, because of his honesty, which is all true. But we also identify with Peter because we want victory in the next challenge. We want Jesus praying for us in the setting of our worst defeat. We want to experience victory. This is no story for the self-absorbed, the navel gazer, the man who sings, why me? Nor should this story be read as a primer for a biblical comedy, the lightness of being, funny, funny Rhoda. Now this is a story, a story for those who remember Peter, 
remember Jesus' words to Peter on the night that he was denied. We remember that Jesus said, Satan asked permission to sift you like wheat, but I'm praying for you that your faith not fail. We remember that Jesus prays for him and he prays for us and he prays for our community. This is the story where God uses Peter as he will use you, addressing head on the ugliest scenes from your life, to have victory over sins that once claimed you, that once defined you. He told Peter he would be praying for him, that his faith not fail. And Jesus prays for us that in this congregation, a second chance, our second chance, and God will use us again.